levels. Level, level. I was low on the last episode. I was told by Andy. <laughs> oh, well. Levels, yeah. Fuck yeah, that guy. Fuck that guy. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular. Names from all over the country. Former champions. I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I'm sitting with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared a ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Sam Hain to Ice Waters, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and who once wrestled at an event called the Top Turkey Tag Tournament. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Hi, Derek. Hi. One, it was Ice Walters. Two, where did I do that? Where'd you wrestle Ice Walters? No, no, no. I wrestled Ice Walters in Oshkosh, I believe. I Uh, liked his name better as Ice Waters. Ice Waters. Good body, just couldn't work. Um, what did I, where did I do the turkey thing? Uh, I can look it up, but I thought you did it in like 2013 or 14. I never pay attention to things like that. Yeah. You just kind of go. I mean, well, that's one thing that happened as I started to get into the business that I didn't understand. Now I just accept it where shows needed to be named. Right. Cause I thought you could just put wrestling here instead of everything, making it a huge presentation as part of the presentation, I guess. Yeah. We tried it last year in 2016 with the show uh-huh. and very quickly abandoned the idea of <laughs> naming the show something. And we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. People are coming. Right. So who cares? Right. And let's never address it again. Anyway, I don't pay attention to the names of shows. Uh, when I do commentary for shows, oftentimes I have to specifically ask what is the name of the show. And then do you have to include that in on the... Well, I like to because I'm a pro. Right. A Matter of Respect, brought to you by Shoney's. Sure, but right? I've never said that. No. See, because that's what I would make you do. I would make you say Usually it. it's, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to blank, blank, blank. The title of the show. Sure, right. <sighs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome We've to... We've got an incredible night of it action here for two. you tonight. Oh, I'd love that. You know what's funny? Um, I'm going to... Uh, what's his name? Billy Corgan? Uh, that guy, when he was running that promotion in Chicago, which is now dead, by the way. Uh, yes. Um, if you look back at the names of all of their shows, they all sounded like gay erotica. Eh, They really did. I mean, there was one that was literally, I thought it was like, give it a tug or something like that. (laughs) So that would be great. It was, I think, I think that's what, I mean, and then, you know, you put the uh, picture of him. Right. Uh, on, in the front, too, all Weasley with his big round head. And it's like, 
Um, and that's not, I'm not begging on. Wait a minute. I, am I know, I know why you're bringing this up. I'm because what? of the subject of today's show. Uh, you're absolutely right. You're, I, you are lying. Uh, no. And it's funny. I steered as, you back on topic. At, well, as I was saying it, as we were talking about it, I realized that, yeah, this would, uh, yeah. come up in good the podcast, segue. which is pretty good. Um, Sterling, Illinois. What's that? Oh, I thought that was the name of a wrestler, Sterling, Illinois. Which, by the way, guys, go oh, for it so out that would have been Funky Monkey. Yes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Any then. of you young talent out there that uh, want to run with the hey, name Funky Sterling, Monkey. Illinois, by all means, go for it. Uh, I it, get good heat in Milwaukee. Incidentally, before we get started, yes. Uh, recently, I did wrestle in Southern Illinois and ran into at Isa Floyd and at Moav. What were these robots? Uh, at MOAV5706. No, these were fans that brought up the podcast. Nice. While I was wrestling in the ring. So I did... uh, (laughs) While you were actually wrestling. Well, like we had just entered the ring and I was walking around and, you know, people were saying various boo and hiss and somebody said, when's the next episode of the podcast? (laughs) That's great. So I leaned over the ropes and said, have you heard the manager's one yet? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. That's awesome. And then I went and had my match, and as I was having my intermission cigar, I kept an eye on the door, and I saw him come out, so I followed up with him. So, Oh, very nice. So if you're a listener, say, hey, you know, come and hang out. I like that. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, but they did ask about, I, I, I hit them up for topics, so I guess we're going to get to this in the next show, but I just wanted to say hello to both of them, and we have a list of topics for upcoming shows. I love it. That's great. So... Um, we look forward to your appearance in the new Star Wars movie too. What was it like at three nine seven? I can't remember the real names. I'm sorry. At uh, I get hit in the head a lot. I got hit in the head a lot that night. Okay. Well, that did they tell you like their re- they did tell you their real names? Well, I introduced point. myself and said hello. I'm Derek, and they said yes. I'm blank. They were like, hey, hashtag excited <sighs> to see you. And then the other one said hashtag me too, and then it turned into a whole thing. Uh, I remember faces. I, a, I remember joke. faces. <laughs> you do remember. Killing me. Oh, sorry. Anyhow, speaking of faces. Like I see your face all the time. Let me tell you what. This guy we're talking about today. This is a, a crazy episode. This is yes. going to be cuckoo bananas crazy. Sure. Um, are you familiar with the band Turbo Negro? Have you heard of them before? Did they play? No, Rio Turbo. Played You're thinking of Rio Mondo. Turbo, who paid, who played Mondo. Yes. No, I'm not. Turbo Shout Negro. out to Joey Turbo, by the way, big wrestling fan. Anyhow, oh, he got beat up that one year, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then didn't get out of the way when I came marching out. There is a band from never Oslo. Him for it. Uh, right. A uh, band name, uh, a band from Oslo named Turbo Negro. Okay. And uh, they were looking. They're like a punk. Uh, like a punk rock metalish band, a little bit more metal than punk. Sure. And their gimmick was that they were like leather boys with like the leather biker caps, and uh, their imagery is very homoerotic. Okay. Um, and then they call themselves the Den- denim demons because they all wear like the denim coats and the tight jeans and all that sure. stuff. Sure. Sure. Uh, they have an album called Apocalypse Dudes, which you should check out, which I think you would really like. Well, you've built them up spectacularly so far. Um, the lead singer, Hank, Hank Van Helvete, he did the eye makeup 
Uh huh. Exactly like the person we're talking about today. Oh, the the Alice Cooper copy. Yes. Yes. Um, uncanny. I'll show you when we get off the air. But okay. a band you might actually enjoy. And as that we were, I was thinking about this guy. Um, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just like Turbo Negro. Uh, Fair enough. Again, check them out. Turbo Negro, Apocalypse Dudes. The album is great. Uh, we're talking about Chuck Harris today. Oh no, no, we're not talking about Chuck. Harris. We're not talking no, about Chuck. Nobody's Harris. gonna know who that is. Well, who are we talking about then? Chris Colt. Chris Colt. The Chris Colt Experience. Yeah. Um, See, I'm just smiling, just saying. It's it. crazy. Now, I had not known anything about Chris Colt, and, and then I just uh, you had mentioned him at one point, and I know. Uh, I think uh, was it Alex Riley from another podcast, uh, Grapple Talk, put up a post about Chris Colt, a few, maybe a month ago, and that's sure. where I first kind of got introduced to him and realized. Oh that, no, he copied the one I posted. Oh, then he copied yeah. your post. Yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm just saying. No, no offense against Alex Riley, but there's no way he would have come out with that first. I, before I me. will say, I kind of had that thought. To okay. be honest with you, I'm like, where Sorry. did he dig this? Where did he dig this chestnut up from? No, I'm glad that it was shared, but it just you hear something like that, it's like, wait a minute. Uh, so, t- I mean, like, go ahead. before we get like into the meat of the situation here with Chris Colt, <laughs> t- what was you, what is your experience with him as far as like what how were you introduced to him? Uh, Chris Colt was first introduced to me by our buddy Rocco. Which okay. we now have another request to get him on the podcast. I love I, it. I, I, I floated it. it past him, but he hasn't responded yet. Um, now with another long-winded text or whatever. No, I'm just yes, email. yes. Just kidding, Rocco. Um, no, and told me about this character uh, as one of the unsung heroes of wrestling. It's like sure. there's not a lot of stuff about him. I haven't heard about you know. I I heard about him. I I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting tongue-tied trying to recall this now. Like Rocco brought it up. Um, and just said like, yeah, he's one of the unsung heroes, but he was just totally crazy, and he's one of those people that if they didn't have wrestling, you'd wonder how they would have survived. Yeah, I agree. After doing the research for the episode, yes, I don't know where he would have been. My first bit of research on him was a link Rocco sent me from a website that's now defunct called GayProWrestlers.com. Okay, which. I'm sorry, I was getting new to the business and like that whole side of it had never occurred to me as a fan and everything. Yeah, right. So I was still trying to digest what that meant for like they're gay wrestlers. That doesn't make sense. I mean, forgive me now for thinking that, right. but you know, I've since 20 years later, you know, learned more. Sure. Um, and it had the, just the stories about him being in the biker gang. Right. The stories about him doing acid and getting fight in fights with the spiders in the cage. Right. And we'll go through. We're going to go yeah. through all of this. And then finally, just the fact that nobody knows what happened to him. Right. You know, and that's the, just what is this? So I'd always heard about it. And then as different stories uh, from people like Jim Cornette and people in the business started to surface and you'd see this name over and over again. And it's always the young unsung hero and blah, 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 blah. Now, finally with the magic of YouTube, you can get just a little taste of right. What the Chris Colt experience was about. But it's one of those things that still, it's almost still ambiguous enough or elusive enough that it's great. Like it's just one of those, you you just get enough it's almost like you don't want there to be a ton of it, but you do want to see more because it makes it that much cooler that it's not really as out there 
as it should be. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the way I feel. Well, that also makes me wonder about about all the footage that is missing of all of these people. Right, right. Um, you know, like all you know, there's footage of the Sheik available, but there were all these personalities like early Ray Stevens and and, and things like that 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 footage doesn't exist anymore. So you couldn't get a sense of what the craziness of that situation was really about. For sure. For sure. So yeah. anyway, that, uh, so from that, that, just hearing all about Chris Colt, it's like, what is this? What's going on? And now finally getting into where there is a body of data available. It's like, wow, it's just, I, I will say it's a story I'd like to hear. I don't know if it's a story I'd like to live or have in <laughs> yeah, my No, not a story circle. you want to live. Yeah, yeah. I put him in, after reading about him, I put him in that category with Art Bar. Sure. I feel that he's one of those guys where there's def- there's footage of him, but there's not a ton of footage of them out there. I mean, there's definitely more Art Bar stuff out there. Yeah, absolutely. But another, you know, crazy, reckless, drug issues, oh. um, you know, that kind of stuff where you're just like bonkers, kind of just yes. all over the place. Uh, Don Fargo, that's the name I was trying to think of. Uh, here's another person that has this incredible story, but... There's almost no footage of him available. Everything you hear is secondhand, and it all seems unbelievable. Uh, he did write a book, which is okay. Writing not the strong suit. Well, no, no. I'm just saying that key things weren't remembered clearly. Sure. Or like there'd be just a line, and, a, and you'd be like, wait a minute. what? It sounds like you're passing over an awful lot there. What, what happened there? So Well... And I think Don Fargo is a good place to start because Don Fargo is the one that actually got Chris Colt into the business. Uh, yes, Chris Colt, uh, I believe originally from Idaho. Yes, uh, ran into uh, Don Fargo and like carried his bag around. Right, he was one like of those that. gopher type guys. He was the guy that, yeah, you know, trying to get his way into the business uh, by helping out wherever he. Yeah, was. like the Boy Friday. Right, exactly, or the manservant. Manservant Quentin. Exactly. Uh, to be fair, Quentin and I got into the business at the same time. Oh, really? So, I mean, I had like six months of training on him or something like gotcha. that. Gotcha. So from helping out Don Fargo, uh, he actually ended up breaking into the business when he was 18 years old uh, out in the, uh, the Northeast Boston type area. And he was running that gimmick, Magnificent Maurice. How would you say it? Chevet? Chevalier. Cheval- I didn't see an L. I don't know. How oh, it then Chevet. Chevet. And that was from Paris. Which, Chevier. Now, this is the thing that I think when we think about, or we go through this, you're going to have to think about. Uh, I liken this to the Elton John, the Paul Lind. Okay, we've really left this part out. Well, hold on. Yeah. But like, and, and eventually the Rob Halford thing is overly flamboyant characters that for the time people weren't questioning the sexuality of of them. Do you get do you know what I'm saying? Like Well but we have to point out that Chris Cole was openly gay. Right. Like, Sorry about like that. Like we we've yeah. left that part out and well I guess being on the gay pro wrestlers thing would have given <laughs> that it away. That should have been the hint. Sorry there. Um Yeah, but that just it wouldn't have been known to the people. Uh, understood. But the characters that he's portraying are still you're looking at like this flamboyant, blonde Frenchman, sure, and uh, 
that at the time people would be like, oh, look at this guy. Ha ha. He's flamboyant. He's playing this right. character. Look at, like I say, look at an Elton John. Look at a Paul Lind. Yeah, like they... Oh, they, this is... Look at Paul Lind. Oh, he's just this guy. Yeah. He's just this... You know, he's, oh, he's up there. But and, you're thinking of how he was looked at then. Not right, how exactly. Not now. now but so, I like, mean, now it's like it. you look back and it's like, oh, come on. Right. Yes. Well, and the same with, I mean, because you look... But at, I, I don't get that from the Chris Cole footage, I see. I think that we're not seeing the right stuff. Well, we're not... We're just seeing his matches. We're not seeing how he lived his life. Right. But again, we're not seeing a lot of the promos. We're not seeing the way that, like, how I mean, because I, I mean, when again, let's. I think we're getting ahead of yeah. ourselves when we talk about this. So we're just kind of following from the beginning. Eighteen years old gets into the Boston territory. Okay, just wait. I, I want to bring up something about the Boston territory. Sure. Uh, because I know Tony Santos did there, so I'm not sure if he's the promoter I'm thinking of. But I know at one time in the Boston territory, like breaking in all around the same time were Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, uh, Ron Dupree. Yes. Uh, and, and a lot, a host of other wrestlers, but I, I highlight these ones because the, these, these are all wrestlers that were known for being gay. Right. So I'm not saying like the Boston territory did this, but Obviously, they fostered a friendlier environment for somebody to get into the business, be it through, you know, above board ways like, hey, I want to become a wrestler, go to school, do that. Or probably how uh, Chris Colt did it by saying, hey, you know, I want to come meet the wrestlers, quote unquote. (laughs) Right, right. You know, which is I'm not I'm not saying good or bad about that. I'm just saying, hey, this is the environment that happened. Right. You know, but it's just something I wanted to point out when I found out that he broke in in Boston as well. It's right. Like, oh, so they were obviously very gay tolerant in that. Territory. Absolutely. And you spoke of a golden boy, Ron Dupree, who actually ended up having a relationship. Well, I didn't want to tumble to that right away. Okay. Well, where do you want to tumble to? Well, is that is that where it starts? Well, I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, I think that's where we're at. We, I mean, he's 18 years old. He ends up in Boston. He's doing the French gimmick. Uh-huh. And then from there, that's where he gets cozy. Oh, meets with, up with Ron Dupree. Yeah, that's where him and Ron Dupree get together. And so they right. become a couple and tour. Right, and tour as a tag team. Yes. So in and out of the ring. They've got their personal life together, and they're actually their professional life. So they're crossing paths. And he changes his name, and so it goes from Golden Boy Ron Dupree and his, I think we would someone say brother probably, because he's Paul yes. Dupree. Yes, yes. Right? So uh, that becomes the team at that point. So lovers and a tag team taking care of the East Coast. Sure, but I also want to point out that I doubt this was the only arrangement like this in wrestling. Oh, right, sure. Remember, wrestling was always, it was kind of like the carnival, that it was a hidden society, so it was kind of hate of a haven for you know, criminals or homosexuals or anybody right. that you know wanted to escape regular society, so they would break in. And this was... Late 60s that we're talking yeah, about with yeah. all of this. So this is, you know, the carny aspect of wrestling. Right. I'm not saying, you know, people are angels now by any means, but you, you become very tolerant. Right. And so when you have this team, the Duprees, and they're going around, they have main event runs all over. Uh, they spent some time, of course, in Arizona. They went to the Gulf Coast, East Tennessee territories, uh, worked a lot uh, in Detroit. They were taking right. champions in Detroit. Right. Uh, and... It was funny because 
when you're reading about them and you see everywhere that they went, it's almost like they tailored the gimmick a little bit different to each territory that they were working in, just kind of making like little uh, changes that would get the ire of the crowd up because they were heel everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that was just, I mean, that's just what you did. You tuned up your act and, you know, leave this out, put this in. Hey, give this a try. See how this works. Right. Because you're going around, you you know, you've got six weeks to six months to a year in every different area. So Right. And so they end up, uh, again, as a Dupree's traveling around, eventually they make the switch to the Comancheros. Yes. And describe the gimmick. Oh, it was kind of a biker gimmick, but it was just, that was their gang, the Comancheros. Right. And so that was, that they did that. I'm assuming this is all probably around the time of Altamont. Right? When was Altamont? Oh, well, Altamont was late. That was 69. Isn't that the end of the 60s? Yeah, so th- but this so this would have been before that. Yeah, so this would have been more Easy Rider-ish. When did Easy Rider come out? Wasn't that... Not 58. Kyle, no, Easy Rider think? was 68, but uh, biker, biker exploitation started in the 50s. Yeah, but I mean, but... Yeah, and I guess... With, Didn't uh, the Hells Angels start in 49? I don't even know. Yeah, well, that 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 point will come up later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they're running in the Easy Rider sixty nine. Oh, so that's still late. I mean, I'm assuming that because uh, you're looking at Brando was doing bike stuff in earlier. Than yeah, that. well, the Wild Bunch was fifty nine or Wild One, Wild Bunch. Well, whatever it was at that point, bike culture was yeah running but rampant. Wasn't that Brando's big thing? Shouldn't we know that? I don't. I oh, don't you know, know all the nerdy Brando. stuff, but you don't know that. I'm not a Brando fan. Wild bunch, is wild bunch. but isn't is not there a Wild One? This wild Angels. No, Brando <laughs> had a biker movie though. Yeah. Well, whatever. But that's okay. Fine. But basically, what? Fifty-three. There. 53 that's what I'm for, thinking of. for Brando. Kyle comes through with the big numbers for us there. Fifty-three. So we have the Comancheros. Uh, their version of the Hell's Angels. Yes. They ran with that in Arizona. They did it in Detroit, and they took it all over the place. Actually. Now, Arizona, that's that's where they had the epic the epic cage match. Yes. You want to get into that? Well, we've talked about it before, so it's, it, it's the same deal. Uh, Chris Colt, one of the beautiful things about Chris Colt was he was well-known for his open drinking and drug use. Right. Um, Boy, we really set this up poorly. So here we've got this openly gay, openly drug abusing professional wrestler. Uh, and I'd like to tell you, that too, by every account, would back up any action if anybody got in his face. He had no problem beating the hell out of you. Right. But you realize, uh, just so we, before you want to uh, jump into this story, which is a great story, by the way, this happened in 1975. Oh, so th- this is still a ways away. Oh, we're sorry. still talking about the late '60s. Sorry about that. Listen, guys, there's a great story about a cage match coming up. Stay tuned. Oh, uh, okay. So, but getting to this point, uh, Chris Colt, yes, allegedly, you know, fantastic worker, but was allegedly drunk or uh, stoned out of his mind every right. night, uh, to the point where he didn't know if he could work sober. Right. He would openly tell guys, like, I'm not working clean like right. i'm getting screwed up yeah going in there because i don't think i can do this any other way right which uh as a worker how do you feel about that uh I, at the time i'm sure yeah at was. the time well 
the other thing we want to point out about the these territories that they went to, uh, they were generally smaller territories, right? Um, like the WWF wasn't knocking on their door, or well, I guess we're still a little early, but Vern Gagne certainly wasn't knocking, you know, right. looking at this team at that time. Well, let me ask this too. So, uh, which I'm sorry, we'll oh, get sure. to later because. There is a version of a biker team that did work in the AWA, right. but and yeah, we're gonna, not this one. We're going to get to that in a little bit here. But one of the things that's crazy, uh, I guess in, in a good way about well, all the good stuff about Chris Colt, is that when you read anything that any of the guys he worked against, they talk about him. They said he was a bump machine. He was uh, he would just take wild bumps all yeah, over the yeah. place, and the guy was just fearless. Like nonstop, yeah, just completely fearless. Now... I think that maybe being inebriated or messed up might have helped him. If he was giving so much, if he was a real giver in the ring, right? I think I might, if I was a, a wrestler, I would consider that, okay, well, great. Yeah, he's going to get in. He's going to make me look like a million bucks because he's going to be bumping like mad. Well, that's after they'd seen him work before. Right. I mean, so they knew what he could do, but... I would be concerned if uh, my opponent that I never met before came up to me and told me that. Sure. No, absolutely. You're right. You know, and I I would certainly be taking steps to make sure I would be protected. Right. Right. I mean, it just. I mean, I'm sure I could still have the match, but. Right. He's not he's not picking me up off my feet. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So they end up doing the uh, Comancheros gimmick all over. Uh, And then uh, in 1969, uh, he gets kind of a, a, a big deal uh, because of Don Fargo. Um, and at that point, Don Fargo wasn't wrestling as Don Fargo. He was wrestling as Jack Dillinger. Yes. And he had his taking partner was? As, uh, Frank Dillinger. Yes. And so, and they uh, were portraying the Hell's Angels. They were portraying the Hell's Angels. Yes. Uh, which is a very interesting thing. Um I don't know if we can get an episode about it, but we do have to address to why Don Fargo was looking for a new partner. Yeah, this let's time. talk about that real quick because we're going to touch on this in the next episode as well. Oh, that's right. Uh, we can breeze over it here, and guys, don't worry. Next episode, you'll hear the whole story. Uh, Hell's Angel, uh, his partner got shot in a in a confrontation in a Wisconsin bar, right? And uh, could no longer wrestle. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> he's out of partner. So there you go. So Don Fargo now wrestling as Jack Dillinger. He loses his partner. And he's going to bring in Chris Colt, who at this time still is not. Chris Colt isn't his name. Correct. It's, it hasn't been at this point. He's just kind of bounced Correct. So around. his real name is Chuck Harris. Right. But um, he was it's kind of like when you when you advertise the show and say, we're going to talk about Chuck Harris. It was like when uh, Meltzer did the obituary for Ricky Dozan and put his Korean name. Right. And it was kind of like, uh, oh, well, I guess that's right. But. Yeah. Who knows who that is? <laughs> right. Everyone's like, okay, that's great. So uh, Colt gets the call from Fargo because they were still friends. He comes in to replace Frank Dillinger, and he becomes, do you know? I forget. Jim Dillinger. Oh, sure. Not, I mean, not much of a stretch. Right. Right. And because of all the trouble with the Hells Angels, they changed the name of the team. Yes. Yeah. Do you know I'm, who? I'm blanking because I'm, I'm hearing the keys out in the. Well, that should sounds a lot like chains. Oh, the chain gang. Yes. See the yes. keys. See how I did that? That was pretty good. 
we heard keys in the hallway. For those that couldn't hear, we heard keys in the hallway, and then I used that as an opportunity to tell, uh, say the word chain to Derek, and then he was able to remember the name of the tag team. The chain gang. The chain gang, absolutely. And so now you have Don Fargo and Chris Colt. But I thought they used the name the chain gang prior to that. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I've seen the chain gang in like the loose programs. Well, I so it could have been it could have been this team. It could Never have been mind. this team. Anyway. So there you go. And so you have the chain gang. And what was funny about them, uh, they lived the gimmick. They lived their gimmick. Don Fargo, uh, man of a thousand gimmicks, but whenever he chose a gimmick, whether it was the 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 Dalton Boys, uh, the Hell's Angels or the Legionnaires, he lived that gimmick 24-7. Right. So these guys, as the the chain gang, doing doing the biker gang gimmick, uh, are riding the cycles. They're down in the grease. They're not bathing. They're doing what they can to be as disgusting as possible because that's what they felt the one percenter bike gangs were all about. Right. Uh, now, Don Fargo also had a lot of contacts in, in that world. So for sure. he lived his gimmick, he lived his gimmick. Right. So they would like ride motorcycles to the venue. Yep. R- wearing the clothes. Wearing the clothes. Off the bike, do the match, get right back on the bikes and take off. Yep. Walk right out of the shower. I think that's great. Uh, sure. I mean, it's cool for the time, right? Yeah, for the time. You definitely couldn't do it nowadays. Right, right. But that's just... Uh, uh, and it's funny when you hear about the stories, too, about so many people's cars getting busted up and broken up yep. at venues that uh, I'm assuming that these guys would roll up on motorcycles and people would realize it was their bikes, and I wonder how many times they got messed with or uh, screwed with. Probably not much because uh, bikers were feared in that you know at that time period. Right. Uh, so they had a good run. Chain Gang did a lot of stuff. They actually ran a feud with uh, Dick the Bruiser and uh, the Crusher. Yes. Um, won the WWA Tag Team Championships. Uh, and uh, they defeated Crusher and Bruiser right. in Chicago at the amphitheater. Nice. So so they definitely were a team that a was big respected. Push. Yes. I just I remember, I remember the loose poster of the Chain Gang just saying, like, hate, breed. Yeah. You know, because Lewis always had those random word associations on his programs. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Just some random kind of stuff thrown up on there. And it worked. Yep. I thought it was cool. Yep. So uh, did Billy Corgan. Bought the whole thing. There you <laughs> Right. So there you go. And you have uh, the chain gang. They're running wild. They're doing their thing. But after a point, uh, this is when our guy, Chuck Harris, uh, decides he's going to change his name to Chris Colt. Uh, this is the very early 70s. Yes. Uh, decides it's time that uh, he needs to strike out on his own. Um, and uh, a lot of different reasons that this happens. But people ask, well, Chris Colt, how did he come up with the name? Um, do you want, why don't you share? Sure. Because that's a great one. Colt was the name of a noted gay magazine at the time. Right. You know, like a Playgirl or whatever. Right. Sorry, Playgirl isn't for girls. Sorry. <laughs> to anyone yeah, that doesn't know that. Um, so, right. So he rechristens himself Chris Colt as, a, as kind of a little secret uh, how you do to his favorite uh, yeah, gay magazine. which is great. Right. And he just ends up kind of going out on his own running singles at that point. And um, a lot of this had to do with, at that point, uh, Ron Dupree. 
uh, his career ends up getting cut short at that point. Uh, well, <clears throat> it's actually, isn't it prior to all that? Well, it, it happens and he kind of feels that like he needs to, this is where like what all that kind of starts going down with the heart attack. And then, uh, Chris Colt kind of, that's when he starts becoming his own man. Yes. Um, well at this time, uh, Colt was wrestling for Dean Silverstone in Washington state. Yes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, which is, I, I, and I can't stress this enough. The book, I ain't no pig farmer by Dean Silverstone from crowbar press is incredible and details how Dean Silverstone ran opposition against the NWA in Washington state. So he had to contend with Don Owen and stuff like that. Uh, brought in, brought in Chris Colt, brought in Ron Dupree as part of putting together his deal. Uh, Ron Dupree, uh, was getting to the point where he couldn't wrestle anymore, so they put him on the road as a ring announcer. Yes. So just because he still, you know, still wanted to be in the area, he was still with Chris Colt. You know, they were still a couple and everything, and he was still on the road with the boys. Uh, one night, Ron Dupree had a heart attack while doing ring announcing. Right. You know, and they wound up canceling the show. And it was after that that Chris kind of lost his. I don't want to say lost his direction, but decided to go on to do these other things. Right. Now, at some point, I'm forgetting where it is, Chris Colt made his way over to England and was a roadie Rody, for yes. Joe Cocker. Right. Which is the strangest thing because that sounds like, you know, the Jimmy Valiant made up story about hanging right. out with But he actually or, did. He headed over yeah. to roadie for Joe Cocker. Yeah. To the point where Dean Silverstone one time, like Joe Cocker was in town. And uh, Chris Colt said, "Hey, do you want to go? You want to go see the show? Go see Joe?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." So he said he was there waiting for Joe to show up with Chris Colt, you know, just hanging out. And some homeless guy came and started setting up the mics. And he said, "When's Joe Cocker going to be here?" Oh, that's him over there. And that was Joe Cocker right. was setting up the mic. So they well, and there was also a rumor too that uh, Chris Colt was in England. And he actually got well. That's not the rumor. The the rumor being that he was asked to leave England because of how one rumor says that because of his behavior was so out of control that he was asked to leave the tour. But then another story goes that he was actually working wrestling over in England as well, and that he had upstaged Big Daddy during a match, and they kind of drove him out of England as well. Those are two different stories. Sure. But again, they, they could all the be legend. the same. They could this all is, be the same. This is what we're talking about. Lots of information, kind of fuzzy. Yes. Nobody really knows. We know, we know that he was there. We know he did things, but we don't know exactly what happened. And this is also the nature of wrestling before social media and before the internet, where uh, somebody could come into the business, have a stellar career, and then disappear, and you don't know... You don't know what happened to him. Dutch Mantel talks about that. Like, say there's a guy I wrestled with for a couple of weeks in Florida, and like he's out of the business. I have no way to get in contact with him, or no, you know, there's no records. Right. There's no, there's nothing you can do like that. Right. Yeah. So it's wild. yeah. So all like the majority of Chris Colt's career happened in this time before social media, before you know tapes were kept and everything. Like but it that. just bolsters that legend. Yes. You know, and it just makes for. Uh, these great stories. So uh, we're going to have, have you uh, read a little portion. Yeah, there's right? a passage in here. Um, J. Michael Kenyon, who's recently deceased, was known as uh, one of the dean of uh, wrestling historians. Um, 
If you know who he is, I, I'm going to get his story wrong. If you don't know who he is, look it up. J, no period, Michael Kenyon. Gotcha. And what uh, book title again was? The book title is I Ain't No Pig Farmer, the story of an old school pro wrestling promoter by Dean, Steve, Dean Silverstone with Scott Teal from Excellent. Crowbar Press. All right, let's hear it. So this is a story that was told by Chris Colt to J. Michael Kenyon directly. Every town has their own inspector, instructed by the now-defunct Washington State Athletic Commission. Remember, this is their running in Washington State. Right. Okay. Every town had their own inspector, instructed by the now-defunct Washington State Athletic Commission to collect 5% of the gate. For doing this, they were paid $25 by the promoter. Almost all the inspector were great guys who simply showed up, collected their dough, and left, but every now and then, some joker would show up and use his state-appointed power to the extreme. When this happened, it was always horribly bad for business because they never had any idea what it took to attract a house or what a program was. I came to work for Dean Silverstone in about 74. I teamed with Golden Boy Ron Dupree and we were the Hell's Angels. We had used this same gimmick for the Sheik in Detroit and had gotten over quite well. Dean supported us 100% and soon we were on top, drawing some great houses all over the state. The town that was up the most was Yakima, where we were selling out the armory every Wednesday night. Then, one fateful night, about five minutes into our main event tag match, this joker inspector comes out of the crowd, rings the bell, stops the match, and announces that the matches are over because the two men were wrestling outside the ring on the floor at the same time. Silverstone came storming out of the dressing room, but it was too late. He couldn't get through the crowd to the ring, and the idiot inspector had already killed everything we had going. The fans justifiably rioted and demanded their money back. Silverstone asked me and Dupree to meet him in his motel room at 2 a.m., saying he had an idea. Ron and I met him on time, and he was still vividly boiling mad over what the inspector took it upon himself to do. At the meeting, Dean told me that the inspector had a day job as a dresser in a funeral home and had the hots for most women, but especially for my sister, and drank himself blind almost every night. He said that we had to use these facts to our favor and eliminate him from getting in the way of any future programs. The next Wednesday night, I brought my sister with me to the bouts, and Dean asked the inspector to join her and me after the matches for a drink. He readily accepted. About midnight, Dean excused himself, leaving the inspector alone with my sister, Ron Dupree, and myself. By 2 a.m. when the tavern closed, I could see that he was very attracted to my sister and almost very drunk, but not quite. Not having a place to stay in Yakima, and unable to go to his house because his family was there, I convinced him to let us into the mortuary he worked at where we could continue our party. By four in the morning, he was the drunkest person I had ever seen, and my sister had him twisted around her little finger. I took a deep breath and told myself what was about to happen was, quote, for the business, unquote, but I was able to convince the inspector to show us some of the funeral home's guests and got him and my sister to pose in the nude alongside several bodies. We continued drinking, posing, and I took dozens of Polaroid pictures of the two of them next to cadavers. The following night in the next town, I showed the pictures to Dean. He picked three out of the thirty or so that I had, handed me an envelope with a thousand dollar bonus in it, smiled, and walked away. Next Wednesday, back in Yakima before the matches started, 
Dean told us in the dressing room that the ring ropes needed replacing because they were weak, but should they fall apart during the matches, for us to continue the action outside the ring on the floor. I then watched through a crack in the dressing room door as Dean walked across the armory floor over to where the inspector was. He pulled what I assumed was one of the photographs out of his pocket, handed it to the inspector, probably said no more than a dozen words before walking back to the dressing room. That night, those blasted ring ropes did snap and all four of us in the main event were outside the ring on the floor at the same time. We spent more time on the floor than we did in the ring, but that inspector was nowhere to be seen. In fact, he never bothered us again, and the Yakima Armory sold out 67 Wednesdays in a row following our funeral home photos. That is crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. wrestling, right? That's wrestling. Um, holy smokes. Uh, plug the book one more time. Uh, I Ain't No Pig Farmer, The Story of an Old School Wrestling Promoter by Dean Silverstone with Scott Teal. So that, uh, I mean, just that is some bonkers stuff going on. Yes. Um, Silverstone talks about every night. It, it was the same every night. He would go give Chris Colt his orders for the match. They would get into a heated knockdown dragout fight. And then Colt would go and wrestle a five-star classic, come back and get paid, and they'd hug and, and that see each other the next night. Well, you know, the, another rumor that went around, too, was that uh, he actually got fired from uh, working Northwest Promotions. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was that one or where it was, because his photo appeared in a newspaper during a gay rights parade. Oh, that wouldn't have been Silverstone. And that that would have been later. Yeah. You think it was someone else? Okay. Well, and if enough. it was in the Pacific Northwest, I think I know who it was. Right. I, I, I don't <laughs> well, know, so I don't want to say anything. Right, right. No, absolutely. But that was kind of one of the uh, things that happened with him as well. So, uh, uh, Another story from the book Yeah, that's just weird is um, Chris Colt was, uh, again, wasn't shy about being gay. Right. But I don't know if I agree with this so much, would often use his sister as bait. Now, in in the book, it's mentioned that he does have a sister who's basically as messed up as he was. Yeah. But obviously, there was something with the family. Uh, would use his sister as bait to find some young guy, and they agree to come back to the apartment. But then, when they got back to the apartment, they'd find out that the guy was for Chris and not for his sister. So, oh, sure. So that's that's rather questionable, but absolutely, you know, still part of the legend. Right. Yeah. I mean. The stories, it's like they're nonstop. Um, so just and messed kind of, up every night. Yeah. Every night. Well, and that was the thing that uh, I think, I don't know if this is what made him good or great or whatever, but he had no care for the risk of his body. Right. Over the top rope bumps to the outside, just didn't care. I mean, he probably wasn't feeling anything. Yeah, that high uh, elbow drop onto his hip. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. Just everything was, uh, he didn't care. There, not a care in the world. So now, speaking of being messed up, let's get to it. 1975, it happens. Uh, goes into a cage match in Phoenix. Who's his partner? Do we know? Or it um, just says the Comancheros? I, it, 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 I don't even think at that point it was the Comancheros. I think it was, uh, I'm not even sure who it was at that oh, point. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure who that, that might have been. But uh, he's in this cage match. It is the Comancheros? Yes. Well, it could be the Comancheros, but 
a still a different, different partner a different, because yeah. that they would have remembered And because I'm sure it was all revolving at that time. Right. He goes into the ring, tripping. Tripping on acid. Tripping on acid. Uh, what goes on from there? Uh, they're having the match in the ring. Suddenly he starts hallucinating uh, spiders on the the walls of the cage. Yes. Freaks out, climbs out of the cage, gets in the people, and starts the largest riot because he's tripping out. and Exactly. Throwing chairs. Just... Throwing punches, throwing chairs boom, at everybody boom, around boom. him. Because he's freaking out. Yeah. I mean, okay, so maybe I'd question working him if that was the case. I'd question working him. Um, I, I would have liked to have been on the balcony for that show. Right. I wouldn't want to have been on the floor. Yeah, that would have been. Um, assuming there was a balcony. If it was at Madison Square Garden, yeah. I I'd think love there was a to balcony. see that. Like, I would think that would be great. I wish that. That's another one of those, like, those lost footage things you would love to see. But I'm sure you know House yeah. Show in Phoenix is well, not there. Right. But I also imagine that I think that would wind up in, on video. That would be more shocking, like when New Jack and uh, Gypsy Joe wrestled. Right. Where you're just kind of like, what the hell are we looking at? at right. Yeah. Just a uh, real. Yeah. Exactly. Just a real train wreck there. So that happens in 75. Also in 75, the big one being, and this is the one that most people cite for the time, like when he officially just completely went off the deep end, off the rails, whatever you want to say. Go ahead. I was going to say, Ron Dupree dies from a heart attack. Yeah, that's what we uh, alluded to earlier. Well, but there was an earlier one of those. He had another heart attack. Oh, uh, that's what took him out of the ring originally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And now, and this was the one where he actually is in the ring. He just got finished. He was announcing yes. Ripper Collins. Uh, this was in Tacoma, Washington. Yep. And uh, has a fatal heart attack right then and there in the ring. Incidentally, Ripper Collins is another incredible personality. Really? Just scary. Just scary and yes. out there. Um, and ironically. Don't you think? Ripper Collins. Who was he? Oh, he, uh, he was uh, his first match. first match 20 yeah. years earlier. So that's, again, another cuckoo weird thing yeah, going on here. Yeah, full circle there. Everything goes full circle. And this whole, the, the history and the stories and everything and the legend just keeps growing. And so that's bonkers. Um, so at this point then, Chris Colt starts painting Alice Cooper style black circles yes. and, and whatnot around his eyes. Um he begins coming to the ring wearing leather and spikes. Yep. And he uses Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare as his entrance music. And this is in 1976. Yes. Which is before the Freebirds, before yes. Bad Bad Leroy Brown, before everybody. Yeah, everybody's the first person to use music. <laughs> I was like but, that up. But I loved his name at this point. Yeah, what was it? The Chris Colt Experience. How great is that? That's It was, it was amazing. Right. It and was again, amazing. Do you think of that time, 1976, someone's doing... The Chris Colt experience, like just that. I mean, it is. Well, it was like it, analogous to when superstar Billy Graham used the word superstar because it was generally new in the culture at that time. And it was like, so what it, you know, it gave it a quality, but still the Chris Colt experience. Obviously, everybody knows Jimi Hendrix. But, right, right. Uh, the Chris Colt experience just made it so much more bizarre. Plus, in the time. In 76 at this time, such groups as Est were very uh, prevalent with their uh, their detailings of experience right, and how you right. experience life and stuff like that. So that was all a way for it to key into that consciousness. Now, again, he's still wrestling the smaller territories, and he's at the, the periphery of the wrestling world. But the business existed at that time where you could go somewhere. You wouldn't get rich, but you could make a living. Right. 
you know, you could pay your bills working here for six months, then going over here and, you know, whatever. So the fact that Chris Colt was able to do that, I also wonder how many untold stories are there about other guys that right. went around. Oh, for and, sure. Absolutely. You know, existed, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily, you know, Madison Square Garden, but Madison Square Garden in Arizona. Right. And the, the Dothan Farm Center in Dothan, Alabama. Right. Like, oh, no, I know. You were it's able to make a bonkers. living doing that. But the, the Chris Colt experience is out there doing this. I did steal this name for a friend of mine, Marcus Crane. Oh, yeah. Who at the time had reinvented his look and was starting to look deathly scary in my in my eyes. But I decided to give him the Marcus Crane experience when I was doing commentary Very in, cool. in LaSalle. And oh, that's Worked awesome. like hell to get it over. I bet. And I may have been the only one that liked it, but I didn't care. I had the mic. It was, yeah, and that's what you yes. do. Now, there is a great picture. M-C-E. <laughs> there is a, a super great picture of uh, Chris Colt out there, where I believe his forehead is pierced. Yes, he has a safety pin and what they call that a suicide chain going to an earring. Yes, in his forehead. Um, again, this guy was off his rocker. He was off his rocker, but Don Fargo was another one in when he was in the Hell's Angels for doing the safety pins through yeah, the, right. the different places. And of course, you had the great Lou Albano. Right. Have I told the story of Lou Albano's uh, rubber bands? I don't know. Let's hear it real quick. Uh, when Carmine brought him in, Rocco asked him, Hey, Lou, what about the rubber bands in your cheek? And Lou says, and I quote, At every TV taping, I had a briefcase. And in that briefcase was a bottle of rum and a bottle of vodka. And that's all he said. <laughs> that's awesome. It's like, okay. Again, that's a great story. Okay, Thanks, so... And he just wrapped it up Lou, on that Lou one. got drunk and put a piercing through his cheek. And, and why not? And why not? As one does. Yes. As yes. one does. Uh, so at that point then, you know, this is like now it's late 70s are happening at this point. Yep. He's back in Tennessee with Fargo for a while. Um, just kind of jumps around. He was with Nick uh, Lewis he was, for a while. Well, he was in uh, Tennessee before because he did have a quick tag team with Bill Dundee. Yes. Uh, and that's because his other partner, uh, Roger Barnes. Yeah, yeah so that's right when that would have been what seventy six or whatever. Right. But obviously Dundee didn't like working with him because Dundee like took wrestling seriously as as you could at that time. Uh, whereas you know, right, Chris Colt was <laughs> not messed so up. Much. Yeah, just constantly messed up. From there, went out to Ontario, Canada, uh, feuded with the luscious Johnny Valiant. Uh, those shows were for the bear man. Yes. Um, that's a callback to an old episode. Yes. Uh, Dave McKingley would run his outlaw shows in the, in the different areas up there. Uh, he like Colt would work those and Heenan and Baron Von Raschke would work up there. I mean, it was semi relatively close. Yeah. So, and and from there he just kind of, I don't say he languished, but he was around. He was the journeyman at that point, and he was yeah. just going place to place as long as they'd have him. Most of the time, getting kicked out because of his abuse problems. Yeah, and just—I uh, mean, know. lived his life. You right. knew what you were getting when you got there, so it was kind of like a Dr. Jerry Graham thing, where you take him until you could stand him, and then ship him off. And then that was that. So uh, his last uh, run, if you want to call it that, was with the Continental Territory in Alabama in 1986. Yeah. Uh, at that point, uh, he was just 40 years old. Uh, but from all accounts, 
he was tore up. Like hard he was, 40. It was a hard, hard 40. Well, hard 40 place. plus all of these bumps that he loved to take, you know, you've only got so many in your card. Right. So that's... Everything catching up. So yeah. he decides at that point, uh, 1986, he's going to lean heavy on the uh, uh, Nazi gimmick. Sure. Calling himself Chris Von Colt. Uh, trying to... Uh, I don't know. Go, sure. go for it at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like what's the well, the hit, derivative hit, at that point? Hitler diaries were big at that time. Right. Exactly. So I think that you have this uh, character. He's never going to get uh, any ex- uh, any exposure with. No. The big by this stuff. time, yeah. The, like Vince, he, he was way too small for Vince. Right. Too many. Pro- well, I would say too many problems, but now it's come out what they were dealing with up there. And I don't think you could really hang, you know, wasn't, wasn't a dusty guy. Right. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have gone into Jim Crockett or anything like that. Yeah. So he does the Nazi gimmick. And at that point, the work rate that everyone raved about was completely gone. He just, he just wasn't there. A shell of his right. former self. Yeah. Yeah. A kicker and a puncher. Um, so what does he do? He retires from wrestling and where does he go from there? Uh, winds up at the Mitchell brothers and gets into the world of, uh, Gay porn films. Yes, absolutely. Do you know any of the names of any of his movies? I've seen them, but they sound like gay gay porn films. Well, I happen to have them right here in front of... Not the the movies. I have them on my phone. Sure. I have them written down here. It's okay, Jay. Um, So I'm going to read them, uh, some of these titles. So in case of any of our uh, uh, listeners that are living alternative lifestyles might want to find these somewhere. This is gratuitous. No, no, I don't think you would because he wasn't pretty. Well, I I mean, he wasn't a good looking man. I'm, well, I'm sure you could find it. I bet you something weird video would have. Uh, Alpha Blue Arc. Well, yeah, if it's 86, that's late. That's still in the... There's that, still something Those, those were there. shot on tape. Right. Yeah. So um, these titles are quintessential, ridiculous Yes, of course. Titles. Go ahead. You, you're just chomping at the bit to do this. Aha! See, that's one of them. Sex Aggression, Jack Husky's First Night at Chris Colt's Wrestling Academy. I like the name Jack Husky. I do too. That's kind of great. Yeah. Hey, indie guys out there, if you're looking for a good name, and uh, what was it, Sterling, Illinois? If someone, if one oh, of those other no, indie they, guys takes Sterling, Illinois, funky monkey. I want you to um, go for Jack Husky. I think people would really enjoy that, especially if you're a skinny guy. Go opposite. No. Name yourself Husky. No, that gimmick a, never works. Okay. Well, never works. Um, so. And just so you know, that was the entire title, Sex Aggression, Jack Husky's First Night at Chris Colt's Wrestling Academy. Yeah, but to me, that sounds... That's like a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah, to me, that sounds like something that was shot under this name and released under that name. Sure, okay. I doubt there was a script written for Um, that. There's one called Uncut 8-Inch Pro Wrestler Joe and the Selection. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's called Uncut... Eight-inch pro wrestler Joe, and then another movie called The Selection One. Okay. So again, first things first. If you're into that stuff, find those movies. Second off, indie workers, Jack Husky. The name's out there, right? Yes, but as Dean Silverstone said uh, in his book, um, you know, he was an adult man. It, you know, it was all consensual. It was, you know, everybody was paid for their work. Um. You know, and it fulfills something for a segment of society. Right. It's like fantastic. But it does just add to the legend of Chris Colt. Right. Like, here's this guy that was an incredible wrestler, fell out, got into gay porn. Right. Okay. So, and this is where the story starts to get tragic. Because 
this is where there is so much ambiguity and there isn't a lot known. But from all accounts, uh, it's believed he ends up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, yes. Uh, in Silverstone's book, he does talk about an emaciated Chris Colt coming into his record store, you know, to ostensibly say hello, but, you know, Silverstone put together a quantity of money and gave it to him and wished him well. And that was the last time he saw him kind of sent him on his way. And yeah. from there, of well, course, he didn't say, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't get out of my store. It was like, he was too proud to ask for money, but right. Don't no, here, just take this. It's a, it's a present. Well, and you know, it's, uh, he's, he, I feel like almost like it might've been the twilight of his life. And he knew that. Yeah. I think he knew, with the addiction, everything catching up with them. Yeah, he knew he was sick. He knew it was going. Word had it uh, he might have become a born-again Christian at that point. But that's because people also said that he was living at a mission. Right. Uh, which, I mean, just like a homeless center. Right, homeless and that could have been could have been legit. That's could one have been a work in order at, to live right, there. One person sees him at a church getting a handout, and next yeah. thing you know, they're calling him a born-again Christian. Right. He's changed his way. And then uh, from there, nobody knows the date. Nobody knows specifically when, but uh, Chris Colt dies. Again, no one knows exactly how, but most like to uh, side with the fact that he died of AIDS. Yeah. Uh, there is no proof. There is no records. Uh, it, it is hearsay. Yep. However, that seems to be the popular story. He uh, died, a born-again Christian, died of AIDS. So... That's the crazy life of Chris Colt. Yeah, just this amazing, truly the rock and roll lifestyle, but not in the rock and roll business. Right. Well, and it's great, too, like uh, to see, just type his name in Google and look at the pictures that come up. Look at the videos yeah. that do exist. And I guarantee you, you will go down that wormhole. You uh, will start looking into that Yeah, stuff. there's a very good one from another podcast uh, where Jim Cornette is watching a match of Chris Colt. And oh, goes is it in, really? goes into his recollections about it. I recommend that. Yeah. Uh, so if you've never heard of Chris Colt, this is definitely uh, um, someone you should look up. You should post something on the site, technical guy. I, I will. I'll put okay. a picture. I'll put <laughs> I up will. A, I'll put up one of the pictures and I'll throw up a couple videos and uh, I mean and like a, on stuff that's on the level, YouTube stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'd have to put up a paywall for your private stash. Yeah, my private stash, right? Or were you talking about Kyle's when you said yours? Sure, whatever. All right, try well, and shift that heat there. But anyway, bit. Chris Colt. Uh, this I mean, was great because I, I were, again one of those unsung heroes. Lanny Poffo loved him. Yeah, yeah, they were tag champs for the Sheik, I yeah, believe. Absolutely. Uh, sure, got along with him, tolerated him. Of course, the ICW was even more the rejects of the rejects, which right. I, you know, I'm not. But you really, when if you do some deep dive looking, you realize how many workers truly respected what he was doing, how much of an innovator he was, uh, what he was doing to himself in the ring. And, so, and again, just the lost. Like, here's one we've heard about how many of these people, you know, how many of these performers existed under the radar that we've just lost all. Like King Curtis and Mark Lewin were in the right. 60s, and then in the 50s you had Johnny Valentine. And it's like, these are the people you've heard about, but how many people were just beneath that that you didn't hear about? Right. And there's no way to find that. That were batshit crazy. Yep. Doing whatever they were told, whatever they could get away with. Living in wrestling because it kept them on the run and... It was just a, a fantasy world they could hide in. Yeah. You know, uh, again, just a great, uh, great topic. Uh, Derek, anything else before we end this one? Uh, welcome to my nightmare. I yes. hope I didn't scare you. 
That's uh, uh, Alice Cooper coming to town, by the yeah. way. Oh, fantastic. He's all of 98 years old. I know. Still getting a payday, but <laughs> I still, I, I'm sorry, but I mean, like you, Judas Priest is coming to town right. too. Like K.K. Downing's not in the group. Right. You know, is it really? Glenn yeah, like Tipton needs it? a haircut. It's wow. like, I'm glad these guys are still getting paydays and everything, but I'd rather remember them, you know, as young men truly forcing their way against the world as opposed to right paydays. Priest almost sold out, by the way. Oh, yes. Good for them. I oh, mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure it will, and I'm sure it'll be an incredible show. And believe me, if I could magically be there for free, I would love it. But... You know, it's not the Jesus priest of my youth. All right. No, I agree. So what do we learn today? Look up Chris Colt. Check him out. Uh, school yourself on this a very unsung hero in the world of professional wrestling. Go to Crowbar Press. Buy everything from Crowbar Press. Absolutely. Check out the band Turbo Negro, the album Apocalypse Dudes. Uh, indie guys, Jack Husky, um, Sterling, Illinois, both available. In fact, how about this? Next time you see Derek out at a live wrestling event, uh, start chanting Jack Husky at him or um, start calling him Sterling, Illinois. If I, if someone can take a picture holding a Jack Husky sign at a Derek St. Holmes match, um, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll send you something. We'll send you something in the mail. Yeah. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So on behalf of Jack Husky, I mean Derek St. Holmes Esquire, I'm Jay Jack Gilkay. Husky. This has been Cigars and Conversations. We are brought to you exclusively by our friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. We're asking you to tell your friends, subscribe, rate, review, and of course, keep listening. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.